This is Party on the Peninsulas, your weekly update on the people and policies leading Michigan, with Michigan Democratic Party Chair Lavora Barnes. Welcome to Party on the Peninsulas, your weekly report from the Michigan Democratic Party. I'm Lavora Barnes, and the word this week, results. In the 2022 campaign, Michigan Democrats promised a wave of action on issues blocked sometimes for years, by previous Republican legislatures. Those promises are being kept. In the last week, the legislature has finalized more than two dozen bills, adding to earlier laws already enacted on LGBTQ plus civil rights, workers' rights, and reproductive health care freedom. Highlighting the week's action, bills headed to Governor Whitmer that not only implement the voter protection constitutional amendment, but expand on that amendment with even greater election reforms. In a moment, we'll be joined by the chair of the House Elections Committee to highlight the many great changes you will see implemented for the 2024 elections. Also passed this week were bills that prohibit mental health professionals, such as social workers, therapists, physicians, nurses, counselors, and psychologists, from conducting conversion therapy on children to try to change their gender identity or sexual orientation. Bills designating June 19th as Juneteenth, a celebration which commemorates the emancipation of African Americans and the freeing of the final slaves in the Confederacy on June 19th, 1865, more than two years after the Emancipation Proclamation, requiring physicians to test children up to six years old for lead exposure. Under the Senate passed proposal, children must be tested when they turn one and once again when they turn two. If a child older than two has never been tested, they must be tested between the ages of two and six. In areas where there is a high risk of child lead poisoning, with children diagnosed with lead poisoning or people living in a house built before 1978, children must be tested when they are four years old. Our legislature also passed a six-bill package to guard against sexual abuse against children and patients. The package comes five years after the conviction of Larry Nasser, the former Michigan State University physician and U.S. gymnastics team doctor who sexually assaulted hundreds of girls and women under the guise of medical treatment. The Senate passed legislation to allow public universities to serve alcohol at college sports events. Michigan State University and the University of Michigan will join 11 other Big Ten Conference universities in allowing alcohol sales in college stadiums. Senator Sean McCann of Kalamazoo, who sponsored the bill, said universities allowing alcohol sales at games saw a drop in binge drinking because there was less incentive to, quote, preload. Next up for the legislature, finalizing the state's budget for the new fiscal year. Both appropriations committees are hard at work putting the finishing touches on Michigan fiscal priorities for the 2023-2024 budget year, with the leadership confident that the budget will be balanced and passed on time. All of this positive action is in marked contrast to what's happening with the Republicans running the U.S. House of Representatives. Thanks to the loud voices of ultra-right-wing zealots led by Lauren Boebert, Matt Goetz, and a handful of others, Congress is virtually paralyzed which threatens a possible federal government shutdown, disrupting the nation, and, ironically, increasing the budget deficit because of expenses created by that shutdown. We'll be joined in a moment by State Representative Penelope Cerniglou, chair of the House Elections Committee, to talk about voting rights. But first, an update on the week's other news and policy and politics in Michigan with Dorian Tyus. Here are some of the stories on politics and policy across Michigan this week. In still another strong economic report, 
Michigan's unemployment rate fell to 3.7% in May, remaining below 4% for only the third period in nearly 50 years. Michigan's labor force participation rate continued increasing. The labor force increased by 26,000, and the economy added 82,000 jobs year over year. With the signature of Governor Whitmer, the Crown Act is now law. The measure is aimed at eliminating hair discrimination and expanding educational and economic opportunity. The law will expand the Elliot Larson Civil Rights Act to prohibit race-based hair discrimination and protect Michigan residents from workplace discrimination. The Detroit News reports that the Michigan Civil Rights Commission has asked Attorney General Dana Nessel's office for a formal opinion on whether the banning of books and LGBTQ pride flags within schools violates a state law against discrimination. The question could have legal repercussions in Michigan and potentially provide a broader path for students and parents to seek intervention from the State Department of Civil Rights on book prohibitions that have proliferated in some districts. Commissioner Luke Londo of Hazel Park proposed the move because he said, the banning of books with lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender themes went against the protections embedded in the state's anti-discrimination policy. The National Telecommunications and Information Administration has awarded a $61 million grant to Peninsula Fiber Network to improve high-speed internet access for unserved and underserved communities across Michigan. This grant is being awarded with funding from the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act and will help ensure Michigan residents have access to quality internet no matter where they live. Over the last five years, the state has expanded access to 23,000 more families and small businesses so students can connect with their teachers, people across healthcare services, and companies can grow. Governor Whitmer has created Michigan's first ever LGBTQ plus advisory council to improve the health and economic prosperity of the LGBTQ plus community and promote the countless historical and present day LGBTQ plus contributions to the state. This council will be part of Democrats continued efforts to boost Michigan's economy and grow Michigan's population by making this a state where everyone and their families can thrive. The legislature has approved making Juneteenth a state holiday. Despite overwhelming support for the new holiday, the ultra-right-wing Michigan Republican House Freedom Caucus voted no. Representative Steve Kara, Neil Frisk, Matt Maddock, and Josh Shriver voted against making Juneteenth a public holiday. Instead of uplifting and commemorating the emancipation of enslaved African Americans, these far right-wing members of the GOP put their energies into a radical right-wing agenda, which includes the anti-Michigan agenda of criminalizing abortion providers in Michigan, making all schools teach the, quote, Christian foundations of the United States, end quote, voting against bills to prevent sexual assault, establishing a gas stove appreciation day, and restricting athletes across the state on how they're able to compete based on gender. Thanks to ongoing efforts by Attorney General Dana Nessel, the number of robocalls to Michigan residents has dropped significantly. According to the Federal Trade Commission, Michigan complaints about violations of the Do Not Call list 
were cut in half between 2019 and 2022. This reduction can be seen in large part as a result of Nestle's efforts to crack down on robocalls. With her robocall task force, Nestle has helped lead a national effort to reduce the number of unwanted automated calls Michigan residents receive. Since taking office, Nestle has also worked with state and federal partners to reduce the number of illegal robocalls. Michigan Republican Party Chair Christina Caramo and Republican lawyers involved in a last-minute lawsuit that threatened to reject potential thousands of ballots cast by Detroiters in last year's midterm election must pay legal fees incurred by the Detroit Clerk's Office under a Wayne County Circuit Court order. Chief Judge Timothy Kinney previously rejected Caramo's lawsuit targeting Detroit voters and came out of retirement to preside over Detroit City Clerk Janice Murphy's request for sanctions against those behind the effort. In his order, Kinney found that the lawsuit, along with the request to bar a Wayne County judge from hearing the matter, were, quote, frivolous and ordered those who brought and defended the challenge to pay $58,459.20 to cover costs and attorney fees to the Detroit clerk's office. You can find links for more information on these and other top stories on our website, partyonthepeninsula.com. For Michigan Democratic Party headquarters in Lansing, I'm Dorian Tyus. Thank you, Dorian. As mentioned at the top of the podcast, major election reform bills have cleared the state house and the Senate. These bills will make Michigan one of the best states in the nation for voter rights, just the opposite of voter suppression laws being pushed in Republican-controlled legislatures across the country. Our Walt Sorg talked with the chair of the state house elections committee, East Lansing Representative Penelope Cerniglu, about the bills and how they impact the way all of Michigan votes in 2024 and beyond. Born in Metro Detroit. Reb Cernigli grew up in Southfield and attended Southfield Public Schools. She received an undergraduate degree from the University of Michigan with majors in psychology and sociology. After graduating from Michigan State University Detroit College of Law, she worked as a victim's advocate for end violent encounters, Lansing's first shelter devoted to survivors of domestic violence, stalking, and sexual assault. Through E, she worked at the Personal Protection Order Office and the Domestic Violence Support Unit in the Ingham County Sheriff's Office. She later worked as a defense attorney representing indigent defendants and juveniles in Ingham and Eden counties. She's a small business owner and former three-term member of the Ingham County Board of Commissioners. Representative Cernoglo, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast after what's been an incredibly busy week for you and the legislature. You've pretty much implemented all of Proposal 2 from last year's election and really made it a lot easier for people who have the right to vote to actually exercise that right. What are the major changes that people are going to see in 2024? Well, I think really the biggest change is the early voting, a minimum of nine days of early voting. So voters can come in within those nine days to a voting center or polling location and cast their ballots, and they'll have nine times as many opportunities to do that at a minimum, which is really huge. We are offering so much more access to in-person voting. I think this can be a real bonus for people who maybe can't get off work that day or have trouble finding childcare or have something happen that they need to be there that day. So just lots more opportunities for voting during those nine days. 
and we set up a mechanism so that local clerks can either do it on their own if they choose, or they can choose to make an agreement with the county and have the county operate their nine days of early voting, or they can choose to partner amongst themselves and have an agreement with other jurisdictions so that they can share resources and are able to get that accomplished through shared resources. We are also lifting prohibitions, polling locations, so that we can give flexibility there because a lot of clerks came to us and expressed concerns with finding locations for all of those additional days of voting. You went one step beyond the nine days as well, which was required. You made it optional for clerks. They can do more. Why did you decide to do that? It was a minimum. The initiative left it open to having more, more days of early voting. So the nine days was really a minimum and not a maximum. So we wanted to honor honor that, the spirit of, of the initiative. And for clerks that felt nine days might not be enough because they have a lot of in-person voters and they want to provide more, we wanted to give them that opportunity. For some clerks, when they if they only have a few hundred voters in their in their area, they may not want more than nine days of early voting. There, there may be absolutely no need for those extra days. So we just wanted to keep it flexible for our clerks and election workers. For people who vote absentee, which is a lot of people in Michigan ever since no excuse absentee voting went into effect a couple of cycles ago, you've made it easier for them as well to cast their ballot simply by providing the postage for the envelopes, which some clerks have been doing already, but now it's going to be statewide. Right. That that really makes the entire act of voting absentee more equitable and just more convenient that people don't even have to go out and get the postage for it because we really want to encourage all forms of voting. However, people choose to vote. We want to encourage that. So I think that people will enjoy having the prepaid postage. The other thing we'll be having, we're going to have secure drop boxes in every jurisdiction now. So that'll be a huge expansion of drop boxes for people who want to use those. We're going to allow government-issued IDs now, IDs along the lines of MSU IDs or U of M IDs. The question that is raised by opponents to some of these bills and people who oppose the constitutional amendment was about election security and being sure that people who cast votes are actually allowed to cast a vote and that they only vote once. What in this package is going to assure that we have, in fact, fair and honest elections? In addressing the whether or not people are only voting once, the Secretary of State's office gets that information through poll book. So they will see if someone votes twice. That is a crime. So if you think you're going to vote twice and not get caught, that's just not the case. And really, the instances where anyone has even tried to do that are just like extremely minimal. So it's not something that people are rampantly going about and trying to vote more than once. When you register to vote, you are attesting that you are a citizen and you are legally allowed to vote. Once again, it's a crime if you are not legally allowed to vote and you are voting anyway. So both of those things are prosecutable offenses. They're really not things that are happening. They're that sure. Can we point to like one instance in history? Sure. But they're not like things that are systematically happening or happening in any type of organized way. Like all crimes, we're setting up safeguards so that they don't happen. But all of these things are prosecutable offenses that we have 
you know, the ability to identify. They're just not legitimate concerns because people aren't doing them. And when they are, it's easily found out. And whenever we hear these criticisms, it's really just a way to, in my opinion, suppress voting. And when you balance the idea of free and fair elections and access for all of the voters who are eligible voters against pretty frivolous concerns, in my opinion, you it really the balance really shifts towards access. Let me ask you about one issue that continues to be discussed on both sides. A lot of the clerks are saying they need the primary move, that August is too late. They want it moved back into June. So they've got more time to just do the physical work and the prep work that's needed for all the elections. What is the status of that? Is it something you see likely happening for 24? That's a tough question. I have been talking to clerks about this for a while. They first put it on my radar in January when I started. And I know it's something that they very much want and need. And I've been having conversations with a lot of the other stakeholders who are involved. And I do actually plan to introduce legislation on this in the next couple of weeks. We've been working with the school board association, which was opposed, I believe, last session to moving the primary. But the clerks and schools have managed to get on the same page regarding dates. So they've agreed to three dates, March, June, and November. But we do have a lot of other continuing conversations to be had with all of the different entities that might be affected by that change. And right now, I can say I don't think everyone is there yet. I'm supportive, which is why I will introduce legislation and continue to have those conversations. At this point, I don't think it's it's really possible to have anything go too much forward beyond introducing legislation before the summer break. But I'm hopeful that we can work through all the conversations and and make it work. But just a lot of different complicated pieces and effects to changing those dates, not to mention it would change all the filing deadlines and the things that go along with those. So there's those considerations. It would change a lot of things that municipalities deal with. Um, And we just have to work through those things, which we're doing, but not fully there yet. I can't say if there's enough time for 2024. I know both 2024 and 2026 are being discussed. So we'll just move forward and see what comes up as we move forward. One thing we should probably point out before we wrap up is the fact that this really is not a partisan issue. Most of the clerks you work with are Republicans. That is true that there there is a significant number of Republican clerks statewide and part of the municipal and county clerks association that we've been working with. And they do want the moved primary. But I and I don't know how that shakes out when it comes to voting on things, because as you saw recently, the proposal to implementation package, at least I understand in the Senate, it had some Republican support, but in the House. It went down on party lines, except for the increased precinct size, which had some Republican votes. But I am well aware that there are Republicans who have asked me for increased precinct size who then voted against it on the floor because I I don't really know why. I suppose just to go along with their opposition of the rest of the package. I suspect a lot of that originates in Southern Florida. 
at a ah. little estate in Palm Beach, but that that's a discussion for another day. You're really though working on a package that should be nonpartisan. And in fact, you're treating it as a nonpartisan issue. It impacts Republicans, Democrats, and independents all the same. It does. And we everything that the clerks associations asked us to put in our implementation legislation, we put in. So as, as far as I am concerned, we were absolutely representing the both Democratic and Republican clerks who wanted to get this passed in an effective way. So so there there were not requests that we were ignoring there in any way. And I think it, it just comes down to a different philosophy. For me, I don't think that it's a criticism that we went beyond Proposal 2. I think that Proposal 2 indicates to me that our voters want to have access. They want to see us provide voting opportunities. It, and to suggest that by providing more voting opportunities is somehow the wrong way to go, I think is just not an accurate description of, well, of, of the voters here. So I'm always going to err on the side of access. And if that's not someone's philosophy, then we're just not going to agree on those things. So I, I think in some ways it, it's hard to come to terms on the way we look at election law and voting. When I worked for the legislature several centuries ago, it seems like there was a tradition when a member passed their very first bill that they had to provide a small gift for the other members. Is that tradition still alive? Because this was the week you passed your first bill. Yeah, we've been getting cookies and other treats from people's districts as they have been passing bills. So that that is a good reminder that I'm going to have to start thinking about some treats to provide to my colleagues. So yeah, I, that tradition is alive and well. Well, congratulations on moving so quickly to implement a very important constant. Well, all constitutional amendments are important, but this one especially so for democracy. And getting it through and moving it through both chambers, you and Senator Moss doing a tremendous job at leading the way. And what's next on your agenda? What are the two of you up to now? I can't necessarily speak for Senator Moss, but I know that he also has Proposal 1 coming through his committee because my, my committee is only half of what his covers. So I wouldn't be surprised if we saw Proposal 1 coming through on the Senate side. That's ethics um, legislation. Yes. And on the House side, there's a number of things. I'm look going to look at some campus voting type issues like youth voting, student voting, legislation to make that process easier um, and try to focus on making it better for our clerk. We are going to take a look at prison gendering has come to our attention from some of the voting rights organizations. And then the petition process, we've had some requests to address some issues there. So we're going to kind of take a look at, at those as we move into the fall. And just, I'm sure, a whole lot more because there's a lot of work to do on this front. I've even had a couple individuals suggest rewriting the entire election law, which we will not be doing this fall, but, but there's a lot of years ahead. So once we get some of these more pressing issues out of the way, who knows? We'll see what you can do with all of these things. Representative Cernigal, thank you so much for the work you're doing on election reform and continuing to do. And thanks for joining us on the podcast. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. 
That's our report for this week. Our great thanks to Representative Penelope Sardiglou for her great work in the leading the way for election reform in our pleasant peninsulas. As always, we welcome your feedback on how to make the podcast more useful for you and other party leaders. Just send us an email to comment at partyonthepeninsulas.com. I'm LaVora Barnes. Thank you for listening. See you in a week. Party on the Peninsula is a production of the Michigan Democratic Party.